Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you and the grace of God and his blessings. Dear brothers and sisters, Bismillahi rahmani rahim Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Wa afdulu salati wa tammu taslim ala Sayyidina wa maulana wa habibina Muhammad wa ala alihi al-tahirin wa ashabihi al-tayyibin wa ala sa'iri al-anbiya'i wa mursaleen minhum sadatina Adam wa Nuh wa Ibrahim wa Musa wa Isa ibn Sayyidatina Maryam Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhim ajma'in. We begin seeking the blessings of the help and the help of the name of God, the most loving, the eternally merciful, the eternally compassionate. All praise and thanks belong to God, the nurturing master of all beings, of all worlds. Peace be upon you, dear brothers and sisters, and the grace of God and his blessings. We ask that Allah, God Almighty, exalt and send blessings upon our beloved leader, Muhammad, and upon his pure family and companions, and upon our leaders from the prophets and messengers, from them, our leaders, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, the son of our leader, Mary. May God's blessing and peace rest upon all of them. Today, I wanted to share some reflections with you in these blessed days of Dhul Hijjah, the 12th month of the Muslim Hijri calendar, uh, the, our sacred calendar, the month of the pilgrimage, I wanted to share some reflections with you that I've titled Hajj as a Quest, Ritual, Rites of Passage and Reality. Hajj as a Quest, Ritual, Rites of Passage, and reality. This has really been uh, a very powerful uh, year plus that we've experienced as a global community uh, with the pandemic, uh, COVID-19, the restrictions on the number of, of pilgrims that can attend the Hajj. We're used to three million 4 million people going to Mecca and Medina as pilgrims. And this past year and this year, the numbers have dwindled, but the meaning of Hajj has not lessened. The, the power of Hajj to transform us has actually, I would say, has heightened and increased. And that's what I want to speak about today. Hajj is a ritual practice that humanity needs. And I'm going to be sharing with you a number of reflections and 
readings that I think will, will bear this out. I want to start with just acknowledging the gift, the gift of the Hajj. It is one of the five pillars of Islam, which is the way of love, the path of the great prophets and messengers. It is the most ancient and most direct, the only complete perfect path to the absolute, to the divine presence, the creator, to reality, divine reality that is still open and accessible to human beings, regardless of what part of the world they're from, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their cultural backgrounds, their ethnicities, their gender, so on and so forth. The Hajj is a great gift. And, and sadly, I think we've failed as a Muslim community to communicate the alchemy of Hajj as a rite of passage, as an initiation. And, and by initiation, I mean a doorway to new knowledge of God, of the cosmos, of one's self, because that's what initiation is all about anyway. And human beings, modern human beings, postmodern human beings are hungry for meanings, for meaningful rituals that connect them with something real, with something true. We live in a world of artificiality. We live in a world of nihilism. And so Hajj offers so much to modern and postmoderns. But I think the Hajj, as we frame it, as we understand it, needs to be opened up. It's, it's more than a ritual that we check off on a box uh, in our Islamic practice. It is part of a cohesive framework of Iman, Islam, and Ihsan, of, of trusting faith, of loving, peaceful, willing surrender to the absolute one and beautiful, excellent spiritual cultivation. Iman, Islam, and Ihsan. Faith, practice, and excellence. Sheikh Ibrahim Inyas, uh, one of the great sages of the 20th century from Senegal, he mentions in his works that the fruits of Islam, which is where Hajj kind of, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi really placed Hajj in the hadith that many of us know, related by Al-Bukhari, Bunyal Islam ala khamsin, shahadati an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammad rasulullah wa iqamis salah wa ita'i zakah wa sawmi ramadan wa hajjil bayt 
that Islam, peaceful surrender, that submission to God is built upon five. It's built upon five. So in order, before you have realized you embody Islam, these five need to be established. These five pillars, as we call them, need to be raised. These foundations need to be raised. Prophet Ibrahim and Prophet Ismail, a peace and blessings be upon them. Abraham and Ishmael raised the foundations of the house. The witnessing, witnessing that there is no absolute reality, no God, nothing worthy of worship, except God, except Allah. And that Muhammad is the messenger of God. Establishing prayer, the ritual prayer, giving purifying dues from one's wealth, one's saved wealth. Fasting the month of Ramadan and making the Hajj to the house for whoever is able physically and financially. And I want to focus on this hadith, the last part of this hadith, well, Hajj al-Bayt. Hajj, its essential meaning is cost to intend, to go out and seek and to search for something important. And that, in the English language, is called a quest. The Hajj is a quest. The quest to the house. The house is the Kaaba. This, this cube and, and the, the blessed and just amazing teachers that have already spoken uh, this year and last year in these Hajj sessions, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad and Sheikh Suhail Hanif and Dr. Ingrid Matson, Dr. Bilal Ware and Dr. Samir Mahmoud have done an, an incredible uh, service to us with really contextualizing the time of the Hajj and what it means, the place of the Hajj the physical place and the metaphysical place of the Hajj and the family that the Hajj ritual memorializes, the family of Abraham or part of that family, particularly focusing on the line of Ishmael, peace be upon him, Hajar or Hagar, as she's known in English, Mother Hagar, Prophet Ishmael and Prophet Abraham. The, and the other line being that of Sarah, Sarah, peace be upon her, and Prophet Isaac, Ishaq, peace and blessings be upon him. And so the Hajj is a quest to wear the house. Now, there's a Muslim proverb that I came across in my studies when I was in Nigeria, studying a book of Maliki Fiqh, 
known as Siraj uh, al-Salik al-Asal al-Masalik. Asal masalik is an intermediate text in the Malachite school of law. And Siraj al-Salik is a commentary on that text. Asal masalik was written by a scholar from Iraq. And as, uh, Siraj al-Salik, literally the, the lamp, the, the, the dazzling lamp, the, the guiding lamp of the seeker regarding the easiest, the paths to the school of Imam Malik, the great Imam Malik, the great jurist and Hadith scholar and, and sage. Sheikh Burai mentions in his commentary this saying that has always stuck with me since those days I was in Nigeria in the city, the blessed city of Ilorin. He quotes this saying, that the heart of the believer is the house of the Lord, the house of the master, the house of Allah. And here we understand that the Kaaba, the pilgrimage, the journey, the quest, for the house is really a quest for the heart. Which is the house of the Lord. The seat of the spirit. The meaning here when we say that the Kaaba is the house of Allah, when we say the heart is the house of Allah, of course, we don't mean in any way that Allah Ta'ala, that God exalted, most exalted is he, indwells in a building as noble and, and sacred as is as the Kaaba is, or dwells in a human heart, hasha, but rather that the human heart is in a spiritual organ that has been given a capacity for consciousness of. God's presence. And this is what the quest is for. When we say that the Kaaba is the house of Allah, grammatically that is what's called idafat al-tashrif. It's, it's a possessive construct that indicates the nobility of the house. It's ascription to the divine. But beyond that, we understand that the Kaaba is special because it is a house that receives the barakat and the rahamat and the nafahat, the, the, the blessings and the graces and the, the, the mercies, the revelations of God's presence in this world, God's 
baraka, the baraka of Allah spreads out upon the earth from the, from the Kaaba, from this navel of the earth. And so this is what the quest is for, brothers and sisters. So I, I'm inviting myself and you to look at Hajj as more than an outward pillar that fulfills a particular religious requirement and to look at the Hajj as part of a spiritual journey, that it is a spiritual journey that gives every human being the possibility to arrive at consciousness of the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that as Mawlana Rumi, Imam Jalaluddin Rumi, may Allah ta'ala have mercy upon him says that presence is realized from within the heart. And this is what we're after. This is what the quest is for. Hajj, so I want to share, you know, begin with a familiar story. I want to begin with the story of our ancestor, our greatest ancestor in terms of our lineage, Prophet Adam, alayhi salam. He is in, created in the garden. And he's dwelling in the garden, he and our mother, Hawa Eve, grandfather Adam and grandmother Eve are in the garden until eventually, as the story goes, they are, uh, they must leave because they ate from the tree of immortality. Now before this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches Adam alayhi salam, peace be upon him, the names. This is a very enigmatic word, the names. Allah, God, taught Adam the names in their entirety. The names, our scholars of Tafsir have mentioned that the names include most essentially and fundamentally the names of Allah himself. And there are certain names of Allah that have been revealed in the Quran and in the narrations in the hadith of our beloved Prophet Muhammad wasalam, around 150 names. And there are some names that Allah has taught to the angels and taught to the prophets. And still yet there are some names that Allah has kept to himself. Allah Ta'ala taught Adam all the names. And that word, Allama, Allama, in its root is this meaning of instruction that is etched onto the heart, that's marked onto the heart of the human being. And this is part of our legacy, the human legacy, to know these names. And the Hajj is part of this reclaiming. So this is Adam in his fitrah state. This is Adam in his 
primordial or his original state, spirit and body containing consciously knowledge of the names of God, of the names of the creatures that God has created, of their qualities, of their realities, of their benefits, of their harms, because he is created to be the vicegerent of God. Allah said, to the angels, I'm placing in the earth the vicegerent. And so this is the beginning. It is this call to rise to the level, to the office of vicegerency, of khilafah, representing God. And it is followed by Adam and Eve, peace and blessings be upon them, leaving paradise. There's a separation and they come to earth. Not as a fall, but as a fulfillment of the purpose of their existence. We human beings, and especially our, our grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve, were created ultimately to be, to dwell on this earth, to bring as khulafa, as vicegerents, as representatives, representatives of God, as stewards of the earth, to bring harmony, to bring balance, to bring justice, to bring spirit into this world. And then the tests begin. Allah says, He is the one who created death, non-existence, and life to test you as to who will be the most beautiful in deeds. And so Adam and Eve, peace and blessings be upon them, enter into this world and they are tested. They have to face ordeals. And the test and the ordeals of this dunya, of this world, this lower world, are not to expose, are not meant to expose our ignorance, but rather to manifest the knowledge that's within us already. They are an education. They are meant to grow us. Liyabluakum is connected to balat. And one of the meanings of balat is the dirt, or you could say the mud, it's at the bottom of a well. So it's like once the, the well's empty of water, it's the stuff, the, 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 the substance that's left at the very, very, very bottom. And so the test, the trial exposes who you are at the very core, at the very core of your being at the bottom of your well, at the bottom of your, at the end of your wits. Now, Allah Ta'ala does not leave the human being, our parents, without a connection. Allah promises guidance. And that whoever follows that guidance 
fear will not overcome them, nor will they grieve. And so fear and grief are right at the beginning. This naming of fear and grief, anxiety, fear about the future, and grief about the past, fear of the unknown, and how many fears do we have? And anxiety, I'm sorry, and grief or sorrow, sadness about what has been lost, about paradise lost. And so the guidance that comes is meant to help us resolve living between fear and sadness, between anxiety and grief. So that we can live a relationship of trust and acceptance. These are the remedies for fear and grief, trust and acceptance of Allah, inaba and taslim. And hajj, again, is an initiation into inaba, this inward turning to God, an inward turning that's symbolized through the tawaf, the, the encircling, moving, this movement around the Kaaba, which is a cosmic act that you see this tawaf, you, we see this, this, this encircling of one object of another from, from electrons and protons to planets and moons and galaxies to the angels who circle around the throne of Allah, who move around the throne of Allah, who move around Beit al-Ma'mur, the populated house, the oft-visited house. And so brothers and sisters, that guidance, receiving that guidance, that gift of guidance is the means for human beings, especially our father and mother, to regain wholeness again. And once that wholeness is regained, then we are able to come home, return home to paradise. the paradise of love of Allah, the paradise of God's acceptance. Enter among my devoted servants, enter my paradise. This is what Hajj is preparing us for. And so when we, when we look at Hajj, the, the Hajj, when does Hajj begin? So the, the months of Hajj, the months of Hajj begin in Shawwal. That's when, legally, a person who's intending to be a Hajji, to be a pilgrim, to go on this quest, can enter into the state of Ihram. Now, the, the, the Arkan of Hajj, the pillars of Hajj, cannot be performed. Uh, all of them cannot be performed or completed until Dhul Hijjah. 
But certain arkan, like the ihram, for example, can be entered from shawal, from the first day of shawal, actually. And from this, you know, we learn that we, and we can appreciate that Ramadan, the, the month of Ramadan is a preparation for the Hajj. There's a connection. There's a seamless connection from Rajab and Sha'ban and Rajab as our sages have mentioned, Muslim sages have mentioned over the ages in Rajab, the seeds of Ramadan are planted. In Sha'ban, those seeds are watered. And in Ramadan, the harvest is reaped. The harvest, the seeds, the, uh, uh, the, those seeds of good deeds are reaped in Ramadan. And the hope and the expectation is that in, in the month of Ramadan, through the recitation of the Quran and the, the standing at night and, and ex striving in worship and good deeds and self-restraint and, and, and discipline and denying the self of its permissible appetites and attachments from food and from drink and, and intimacy, that taqwa is gently cultivated. That God consciousness, that God fearingness, that reverence for Allah is cultivated. And it is taqwa that is the best provision. Allah says in ayats mentioning hajj, the ayats mentioning Ramadan, taqwa is mentioned first and foremost as the purpose. Kutiba alaykum usiyam kama kutiba ala ladina ya ayyuha ladina amanu kutiba alaykum usiyam kama kutiba ala ladina min qablikum la'allakum tattakun. Oh, you who have believed fasting has been prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those before you for those before you in order that you, so that you attain reverence for God. And then later on, tazawadu, take provision, referring to the hajj, referring to the quest. Allah says, take provision. Like when you go on a journey, like, you know, take your, your you know, people, you know, get food, they pack food. And if you're going on a, you know, on a hike or you're going camping, you have your granola bars, your, you know, and you, you take provision. And the best provision is what? A taqwa. The best provision is taqwa. And so you gather, so to speak, taqwa in the month of Ramadan, so that you begin your journey from shawal. You begin your ihram from shawal as some Muslims, many Muslims did before our, our current age where we're able to, you know, go to Hajj, uh, go to Mecca, go to Jeddah, Riyadh, you know, in a few hours, right, by, by plane. And so shawal and dhul are this time of preparation for the quest. Now the quest in is is a part of the the, the 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 mythology of the quest is something that's 
part and parcel of many, many human cultures. In the West, the quest for the Holy Grail, right? That, you know, that's, you know, one of the more recent, or some would say the last serious attempt to come to terms with this human need to discover uh, a reality, a reality that is greater than us, to discover something that's truly, truly abiding and eternal. And when we look at the Hajj, when we look at the story of Prophet Adam and our mother Eve, Lady Eve, peace be upon them, and we look at rites of passage and initiation, I think we find some interesting parallels. Now, I'm not saying that Hajj is just a rites of passage, right? Because that would be incorrect. But what I found, and rites of passage has been something that's intrigued me for a, a number of decades. It's, you know, I went through a rites of passage as a young man uh, when I was in high school, in secondary school, uh, and in my mother's church before I became Muslim. And actually that rites of passage had a lot to do with me embracing Islam eventually. And in the past seven or so years, I've been you know, reading a lot about rites of passage and experiencing uh, rites of passages. Most people go through a number of rites of passages over their lifetimes, whether they know it or not. And, but it's not language that, unless you're familiar with the literature with, or with anthropological studies uh, or historical studies on the matter, you may not be used to it, but it's, it's, it's a part of, it's a part of life. It's a part of many of our cultures. It's a part of our deen. And I just want to unpack some of that, inshallah ta'ala. What is initiation anyway? What is rites of passage? Mali doma some, a spiritual uh, teacher, not Muslim, uh, from Burkina Faso says in an interview he did with Sun Magazine that initiation means a rite of passage from one stage of life to another. Now, Imam al-Haddad, Imam Abdullah al-Haddad, the great Sufi sage of Southern Yemen, Hadramaut, in his book uh, that's in English titled The Lives of Man, he identifies five stages that people pass through in their worldly life. Uh, in other traditions, for example, uh, the Akan tradition of the people of Ghana, they identify seven stages. Uh, but what's important is to understand that each of these stages has its own qualities, its own responsibilities, its own awakenings uh, and its own preparation and a number of other issues surround each stage of life. And what rites of passage does is it, is it prepares you for each stage. And if there were things that were missed in a prior stage, there is a redressing, uh, a resolution of, of missed 
opportunities or incompleted rites of passage. Then Malidoma goes on to say, the absence of formal initiation in the West is why young people create their own informal initiations, such as engaging in reckless and dangerous behavior. Maybe drug addicts and alcoholics are trying to break into a different state of reality, as happens in a true initiation. In a true initiation, in a true quest, a true rites of passage, there's an opening into a deeper, or you could even say higher consciousness of reality. The problem, he goes on to say, is that their initiations never end. These do-it-yourself initiations, whether it's through fraternities, pledging a fraternity where people are hazed or pledging a sorority, uh, you know, joining the military. That's another kind of initiation, rites of passage that many people who don't have guidance take. Um, joining gangs, joining gangs. Right? A lot of young people, a lot of young Muslims are drawn towards gangs because gangs are the only institution, only organization in their proximity that is still offering initiation. What is, so what, so what, so what is, what are the elements? What is the, what is the, the architecture of initiation? Well, it basically follows four or five steps. The first step is the call to adventure or the call to this new life. And Imam al-Ghazali, may Allah Ta'ala have mercy upon him, he describes the beginning of one's Hajj experience as, in, as a yearning, as an ishtiaq. It's a, something that comes from within. And those of you who've experienced it, who've tasted this, know what that feels like. It's, it's something that really can't be put in words, but all of a sudden, a longing, a, a, a wanting to be at the Kaaba, a wanting to be at Arafah, a wanting to be among the pilgrims takes over one's heart and one's mind. A yearning to go to the city, the illuminated city of the Prophet Muhammad preoccupies one's thoughts and maybe even one's dreams. It's a yearning. The second step in initiation that you find among different cultures and different religions is a separation from what you're familiar with, a separation from your family, from your land, from your routine, from your, your occupation, from your business. Because it, it, it takes a break with the, with the familiar, it, a break from that which we are familiar with on the outward often leads to an opening of the inward. 
And so the separation is, is, is necessary. And usually in traditional societies, that separation was to a place of nature that was natural, that was away from the hustle and bustle. And again, Hajj, especially Hajj in pre-industrial times, pre-modern times, before oil was discovered in the kingdom, you were in the wilderness. And many people who would make that journey uh, to Mecca, al-Mukarramah, to the noble city of Mecca, they had to face uh, tremendous ordeals and, and trials, and they would go through the deserts uh, to reach Mecca. And even while they were in Mecca, you were in nature before the, the, the hotels and you know were erected and the skyscrapers, you were in this awesome majest the majesty of the signs of Allah in nature. And this is exactly what is needed for an effective initiation for a true quest of that which is the most precious, the most precious thing that can be sought. The third aspect of supper, of, of initiation or rites of passage uh, is the threshold, right? Um, the space that creates what's called learner's mind. It's, 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 it's also a kind of yearning. And this needs silence. This needs solitude. Uh, in Turkey, in the Ottoman period, uh, the traditional path of Imam Jalaluddin Rumi, the Mevlevia path, they had the asitani, the, the threshold, right? the training of 1,001 days of retreat. 1,001 days of retreat. It's something that's not done anymore, but the initiate went through a process of refining the soul and, and tests and, and trials and service uh, and, 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 and patient perseverance. And the threshold had a number of meanings. It, it, the Asitania had the, the meaning, of course, of the, 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 the tomb of a great spiritual teacher. Uh, the, it had the meaning of the threshold of the door of a, a spiritual center. And then it also had the meaning of the threshold of the court of the sultan. And all of these are, you know, all extremely relevant, right? But that waiting, when you get to Hajj, you know, especially if you're there before Yom Al-Arafah, on the day of Tarwiyah, the day when thirst is quenched, right? It's again, it, it speaks to this, you know, this thirst, right? There's a physical thirst, but then there's a spiritual thirst because you've gone on this journey now and you are preparing your heart now, your mind now is open and prepared for what is to come. The fourth aspect of initiation 
that you find in, uh, in the literature and, and still practiced in uh, many uh, parts of Africa and Native American cultures and, and other indigenous cultures, even though many have lost this and are trying to remember and, and, and regain that you find in the Hajj uh, is the stage of ordeals, of tests. And we go through a number of these on Hajj. Right? In fact, so much so that Rasulullah said that the jihad, that the struggle of women is Hajj. Right? And Hajj is not just a struggle for women. Anyone who's gone on Hajj knows that to have a Hajj with no wujidal, no fusuk, no rafath, without any indecency, an obscene language, without any uh, uh, sexual uh, improprieties, a, a hajj uh, that is free of uh, argumentation and debate, a hajj that is free of uh, corruption and immorality. This is a struggle not to mention the bumping and the pushing and in the sea of humanity and dealing with your own nafs as it navigates nature and navigates other people and navigates the protocols and the policies of the government and you know the officials the administrators of the hajj all of this is part of the ordeal you're dealing with your own body, dealing with ihram, entering into a state of ihram, and the conditions that are necessary, the prohibitions that are necessary to maintain that state so that you can enter into the sacred space. So ordeals is very important. <clears throat> and in initiation, what's most important along with the ordeals is that the initiate have a, a state of sabr with each ordeal, that, that the initiate not complain, not grumble, as sometimes we find people doing on hajj, right? If a, an initiate, someone who is going through rites of passage was enduring a test, then they failed. They failed. And so that's a, a reminder to our, myself and to you to endure the trials and the test of Hajj with a, an acceptance, a teslim, that this is what I need. This is the medicine that is necessary for me to receive the gift which is the next stage, right? The, the gift, receiving the gift. And going through the different manasik, the different rituals of Hajj, there's a gradual peeling of away of the layers of, the, of, of what's false, uh, of, the, of taking off the mask. You know, just going to Hajj is a removing of the mask for many of us. Being in a sea of worshipers who have the same intention of you where you're stripped, literally stripped of everything that may be your armor against 
the elements against people's perception of you. Facing the naked truth of who you are. It's important. And then finally, finally, there's what is called the, the reincorporation of the initiate, of the seeker, of the haji, of the pilgrim, with his or her gift back into the community. So now with a hajj that's madbrur, as the Prophet said, a hajj that is accepted, a person now returns back to their community, Allah willing, as the day their mother gave birth to them. And it's so, the, the imagery is so powerful because Mecca is known as Umm al-Qura, literally the mother of towns, the mother of villages, the mother of cities. And this mother now gives birth to you. <laughs> the, the experience of Hajj gives birth to you again. This rites of passage of Hajj gives birth to you. You're a new man now, you're a new woman now because you've hopefully touched gain some aspect of your fitrah that may have been lost, of that original innocence, of that original openness to guidance, the guidance that was promised to your grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve. Peace and blessings be upon them. The, I want to share with you some of the aspects of Hajj there, there's, that you find in other initiatory experiences. Uh, ihram is something you see in other cultures where there's rites of passage. Uh, there's, a, there's an interview that I did uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Imam Fode Drame, who's a well-known Mufassir of the Quran, original, very original Mufassir of the Quran. Uh, exegete of the Quran and you can find this video it's two videos where I interview him and ask him about his rites of passage experience he's from the Jahanke people who've been uh, teaching Islam for over a thousand years in West Africa and Islam in West Africa owes its presence to their uh, incredible and effective methodology of spreading Islam, not through active proselytization, but through serving their communities, Muslim as well as non-Muslim, through Quranic-rooted education, feeding the people and healing the people. And we talked about his initiation. And one of the things he uh, shared with me in that interview is that when you look at the initiatory rites that are still practiced today by Muslims in West Africa, you'll find that these are rites that go back over a thousand years. And you find that the initiates always wear clothing that resembles the ihram garb the two white sheets that are like 
the, the shroud that covers the, the corpse of the deceased. Initiation is all about coming to terms with death as well. A true rites of passage is a kind of death of the old self and a, an acceptance of our inevitable death. Every soul, Allah says, will taste death. And a preparation for a new life. A new life as a result of, of the, this quest. The fulfillment of the quest. And uh, Richard Rohr, right, who's a, a Catholic priest who writes a lot on uh, initiation, also mentions in other cultures uh, that he visited and that he witnessed this dress of, of you know, initiates, uh, particularly boys and young men wearing, uh, you know, of ihram basically with nothing underneath except these garments, these two garments, the upper and the lower garment. Uh, another thing that we see in, uh, we see is the shaving of the head, right? That we do in Hajj after the stoning, the first stoning at, of the Jamarat at Aqaba. Uh, Richard Rohr again in his book, Adam's Return, uh, I'm sorry, Malidoma Some rather, in his book on the healing wisdom of Africa, finding life purpose through nature, ritual and community. Uh, he mentions a more detailed form of this initi initiation might begin with some form of induction which in my village might be the ritual removal of hair and the decoration of the head with paint obtained from the bark of a tree. People involved with leading such an initiation must conceive of a way to change the physical appearance of the initiates so that the psyche can adjust to what is supposed to happen thereafter. We believe, the painting we believe that painting patterns on the body, for example, alters the body's energy and it is easily achievable as is shaving the head. And now, of course, in our tradition, in the tradition of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and Prophet Abraham, uh, we don't paint our heads, but we do shave our heads. And, and, and this is something that is done in the Hajj uh, you know, men are recommended to shave their heads. Again, this is a representation of an, a new beginning. Who else has their head shaved in our Muslim tradition? The baby at seven days or 14 days or 21 days when their aqiqah is done. And the word aqiqah, aqqa, ya'uqqu, is related to the act of cutting. And, and a number of things are cut for the newborn. The, the hair is shaved, uh, there is circumcision, uh, there is the cutting of the, uh, the, of the ram, of the, of the goat or, or, or of the cow, right? 
that's um, also part of Muslim tradition. So this cutting again is a, sim is a symbol of new life. It's very common for students in West Africa, in the Quran schools, in the Arabic and the schools of the sciences of Islam, when a student begins, they must shave their head. They must shave their head. So shaving the head is part of an ancient rite and an ancient symbol that is preserved uh, in the Hajj. Another characteristic of the Hajj that and initiation rites that we find is the or, or ordeals that are aligned with the elements of nature. Now the Quran presents four basic elements, the element of fire, the element of water, the element of air, and the element of iron, which have correspondence to prophets Abraham, prophet Mos Moses, to prophet Solomon, and to prophet Dawood, David. Peace and blessings be upon them. And what we generally find, with variation, is that true initiations incorporate ordeals or tests uh, that you uh, that are uh, uh, incorporate these elements. And you find all of them in the Hajj, and I, I don't have time uh, to go into all of them, but I'll just share one with you. The, <clears throat> the element of, of iron or earth. And again, in uh, uh, Malidoma Somme's book, he mentions regarding his own initiation and the Dagara uh, tradition of his people in Burkina Faso, the mineral ordeal our mineral as it relates to the earth, usually takes the form of a journey to find one stone amidst a vast field of stones. <laughs> Again, this, to me, you know, there's a parallel there uh, with going to Muzdalifa after the uh, standing, the wukuf at Arafah and looking for the seven pebbles that will be used, looking for the 21 pebbles, right? That will be used to stone the pillars, the stone pillars, again, stone, the, the pillars that represent the times when Abraham, Prophet Abraham, peace be upon him, resisted, successfully resisted and rejected the temptation of Satan. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from him. And the running, uh, the last rite that I'll mention is running. And running that we do at the Sa'i of Safa and Marwa, between Safa and Marwa, as our mother Hajar did, uh, this is something also that's you'll find in many, many different initiations from culture to culture, religion to religion, and the, uh, the pre-modern, pre-postmodern uh, world. Uh, among the Dene people, 
also known as the Navajo people uh, of uh, Southwestern United States, they, the girls, they, they run over four days. There's a time in their initiation into womanhood that they run as far as they can. And the little children run behind them. And the goal is for them not to be caught in each, each um, day, they have four days, right? Four is a sacred number for indigenous peoples in America. Each day they have to run further. They run further than they did the first day until on the fourth day, they run the furthest of all the days. And their elders at the end of this process tell them this represents your life and never, never think that there's a, uh, that you cannot exceed whatever you believe your potential is. Don't settle with what you imagine your limits are. You can always go further. You can always go further. And it's interesting that we have this running between Safa and Marwa, memorializing the, the running, the Sa'i of Mother Hajar. And seven times, right? Again, uh, these seven times uh, are connected to the seven circumambulations around the Kaaba that Prophet Adam and the angels and Prophet Abraham and Prophet Muhammad وسلم, did. And these are connected, of course, to the seven stages of life, to the seven levels of heaven and to the seven earths um, and the sab'amathani, the, the seven uh, pairs uh, that are mentioned in the Quran, the seven oft-repeated verses, seven is the number of, of completion. And this is all also part of part of this part of this quest. The Hajj ultimately helps us to learn the five essential truths. The Hajj should help us to understand experientially, not in a, like a lecture, but experientially to understand the five essential truths that you, that, that scholars have found across initiations and to answer the five essential questions of our five existential questions. What are the five essential truths? Life is hard. We have created the human being in toil. The second, you are not that important. Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater. That you are a part of a, a sea of souls, a sea of spirits. The third essential truth that you find is taught experientially is that your life is not about you that it is really about the ummah, that you are an individual that's a part of a community. And the community is there to support you and to serve you in your individual mission. And you are there to support the community in its mission. 
the fourth essential truth is that you are not in control. And this, again, every rite of the Hajj, from the tawaf, from the ihram to tawaf to sa'i to staying at Mina to going to Arafat, stoning the Jamarat, uh, to spending two or three days in Mina, all of this underscores we are not in control. Allah is in control. He is Al Qahar. He is Al Jabbar. He is Mudabbir Al Umur. He is the one whose will is not resisted. He is the one who controls and subjugates all. He is the one who disposes of all and manages all and administers all affairs in the universe. And the last essential truth that a true, that you find common across true initiatory experiences is the teaching that you are going to die. A physical death. And Arafah, right, is in, in the wearing the ihram, the white, the shroud is a, an underscoring of this. And Arafah beautifully brings together our past, our present, and our future. Our past as spirits who witnessed to the rububiyah of God, the lordship of God on the day of Alest. God asked, are you not, am I not your Lord? And we all said, Bala shahidna. Indeed, we bear witness. And on the day of Arafah, we memorialize that witnessing. And Arafah also speaks to our current state as, as slaves, as, as ibad, ar-Rahman, as, as, as servants, as devotees of the most merciful one, begging for forgiveness, pleading for forgiveness. Muslims all over the world on that ninth day of the Hijjah. And, and Arafah also speaks to our, our eschatological predicament, our destiny, okay, that we will stand for judgment. We will be accountable, except those whom God waves the judgment for. As I conclude, the haji who's the pilgrim who's treating the hajj as a quest should contemplate on hajj the five essential questions. Where did all of this come from? How do we know anything? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? The story of the family of Ibrahim, Alu Ibrahim, wasalam, answers these questions. The place, the, the, the physical and metaphysical reality of Mecca and Mina and Arafah and Muzdalifa answer these questions. The time of the Hijjah and Arafah answer, help to answer these questions. And the rites themselves, the manasik themselves, help to answer all of these questions. So as we conclude, 
it's important that we recapture, that we reclaim the Hajj as a quest. That it is not just a pillar that I need to fulfill to be a good Muslim. That the Hajj is not religious tourism. It's not shopping in malls and, you know, and buying gifts, right? It's so much more than that, that it is a quest for the house of the Lord, for the heart that is the seat of the Spirit of God, Ruhullah the spirit that Allah Ta'ala has placed in this body and placed upon this earth as his vicegerent. It is a quest to connect with that. And the person who connects with that spirit, where there's an integration, there's an individuation of their limited consciousness with the boundless freedom, the the self-transcendent consciousness of spirit, that is the person who attains Hajj Mabrur, who returns home like the day his mother gave birth to them. Hajj should connect us with our ancestors specifically Prophet Ibrahim, Mother Hajar, Lady Hagar, and Prophet Ishmael, peace and blessings be upon them. Hajj should connect us with nature. And as the Hajj becomes more modernized uh, with light rail and, you know, everything's five, six, seven star and, and, and people can eat, you know, food from all around the world and, you know, live in uh, extreme comfort. This kind of flies again. It goes against the whole nature uh, that of of the initiatory experience that Hajj can be. Our attachment to luxury and comfort. Hajj should connect us to nature, and so when you go to Hajj, it's important to seek out places and spaces that are natural. And if you can't find them, to look within, to look within the heart. Hajj connects us with a picture that's bigger than ourselves. It should not be filled with us taking selfies or, or nafsis, <laughs> you know. But the, the pilgrim is called to gain a vision of something that you cannot put in the lens of any camera. Hajj connects you with your mission. That's, this is what initiation is about. What is your purpose? What is your calling? Why am I here? Why did God, why did Allah Ta'ala send my spirit into this world? What work am I here to do? How am I here to worship Allah? How am I here to serve? 
Is it as a teacher? Is it as a healer? Uh, is it as uh, a warrior? As a parent? As a seeker? As a lover? Hajj connects us with humanity, with our humanity and with humanity. It helps us to transcend our tribe, to transcend our nationality, to transcend our conditioning. This is what the fitrah is all about. The fitrah is regaining, reclaiming your original innocence without free of the conditioning of your parents, of your, of your teachers, of your siblings, of your family, of your culture, of your country, of society. That is what the fitrah is. It is this opening. You know, every word that begins with a fat in Arabic has this meaning of opening or separation, of fat or firaq. There's a separation from the limitations of the, of, the, of the small conditioned self and this regaining of the openness and the freedom of the fitrah. The Prophet Muhammad said, every infant, every child is born upon the, this original innocence this primordial nature. And his guardians turn him or her into a Jew or a Christian or a Magian, a Zoroastrian. And then lastly, and we'll end with this, the Hajj is meant to connect us the Hajj as an initiatory experience, the Hajj as a quest is meant to connect us with our guide. And again, you find this across religions and cultures, uh, this, that the initiatory experience is supposed to connect you with your spirit guide. And who is that but Prophet Muhammad He is the guide, par excellence. God indeed has favored the faithful when he caused to, he raised from them a messenger from them, their own souls, from their own selves, reciting, and notice it's in the present tense, reciting. The Prophet Allah describes the messenger's work as a continual recitation, reciting upon them God's revelations. And he is purifying them. And so the Prophet his work as our guide, as our guide over through all times and ages, our spiritual guide. is to purify us. And he instructs them, he teaches them, he etches onto their hearts and souls knowledge of the scripture, the book, 
and hikmah and wisdom. And true hikmah is to see things in their wholeness and their oneness and their harmony. So this brothers and sisters, you know, speaks to visiting Medina after the Hajj, why it's so essential to connect with the guide. And Prophet Muhammad وسلم, guides us through his inheritors, guides us through the words that have been recorded in the Hadith, his words and his actions and his tacit approvals, وسلم, he guides us through the Salat and Salam, the Durud Sharif, the, the benediction that we invoke upon him. Uh, he guides, وسلم, he guides us uh, through visiting us in our dreams. And there's a narration that whoever prays 40 prayers of Medina is free of hypocrisy. And so that's why in the past, when we didn't have these, you know, visas that limited how long you can stay in Medina, and there weren't as many people in Medina. Also, uh, you found that many Muslims, many pilgrims would do their best to spend at least eight full days in Medina so they could pray 40 prayers in Medina. May Allah give us success. May Allah give us success. And some even longer. But all of that was done, uh, this devotion to the Prophet Sallallahu this connection in Medina and giving him salam and giving the companions and, and the other, uh, the family of the Prophet Sallallahu salam in Medina, uh, as well as in Mecca, right? Because uh, some of them are buried in Mecca. Um, in the uh, cemetery of Mu'alla, uh, and, but in Baqir and going to Uhud and, and uh, going to Badr is to develop this spiritual connection, right? So that guidance can come to us from Allah through, through that connection. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. May Allah Ta'ala help us to regain and restore the Hajj as the initiatory experience that modern human beings need and crave. And uh, I'll end with this, um, I'll end with this quote from Richard Rohr in his book, uh, Adam's Return. He says, keeping the edges hot is a crucial requirement in conducting initiation rites. A workable and Western five-day initiation rites for adult men, this book is specifically about male initiation, five days is an absolute time minimum. And notice that Hajj is, is five, or it could be six days, which is really, I think, very powerful. He goes on to say, basically it means that the ritual space is defined and protected often by boundary markers and rules that might seem arbitrary and even nonsensical. Long periods of silence, required clothing, punctuality, rustic accommodations, food, uniformity, and even conformity, not calling home, being cut off from outside stimulation, going to bed on time, a certain strictness and no nonsense are all quite necessary. They create respect for the group, 
and an absolute respect for the process. Liberal humanistic society has little knowledge or, or appreciation for this. If you do not have your own thinking clear here, you will not succeed in contemporary Western society, which is very biased against boundaries, community requirements, and anything that appears irrational. There can never be mere observers, journalists, or spectators inside liminal space. Liminal space is that space that is needed, that threshold uh, to be receptive to new knowledge, to initiation, to learning a new way to be. And this, he says, would destroy the space's hot edges. And this is part of the wisdom why Mecca is a forbidden city, right? It's not a place for spectators and, you know, it's not a place for people who won't honor these boundaries. And I'll end with this, Jews, Catholics, Orthodox, Christians, and Muslims and Muslims still understand hot edges, boundaries, to a much greater degree than most Protestants because they draw, they, because they draw from times before the enlightenment with a much longer understanding of ritual and liminal space. May Allah Ta'ala help us to restore uh, Hajj as a spiritual quest. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala grant us the embodiment of the ayah of the words in the Quran, وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ And for God, for Allah, is uh, prescribed upon humanity, the quest for the house, the quest for the heart. May Allah reward you all with good and may Allah Ta'ala inspire in all of us a yearning for his house and a yearning for our innermost hearts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you and the mercy of God and his blessings. Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers.